Welcome to the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee of Denver City Council. The Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee begins now. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee. Um, my name is Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez. I'm one of the council members at large. Uh, we are going to start off with some introductions this morning. Uh, oh, today is Wednesday, uh, January 31st. I always, I'm always nervous that I'm going to say the wrong date, but January 31st. So thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I will start with, okay, we don't have anybody online, it looks like. So I'll start this time on my left. Good morning, uh, Madam Chair, Stacey Gilmore, District 11. Good morning, Diana Romero-Campbell, Southeast Denver, District 4. And good morning from here too, Paul Cashman, South Denver, District 6. Uh, good morning, everyone, Kevin Flynn, Southwest Denver's District 2. Jamie Torres, District 3. Amanda Sawyer, District 5. Good morning, uh, Daryl Watson, Fine District 9. I'm gonna do something we normally don't do. We're gonna do a wardrobe change just yep. for folks right here. It is early morning, so we're gonna keep people awake. I am an ambassador today, so I'm wearing my vest. <laughs> All right, thank you, council members. Um, and I believe we'll probably have a few more folks joining us maybe a little bit later. Um, today we have a few briefings, presentations, and then we have a few items on consent. Um, and then I'll just, you know, keep uh, updated to see if anybody joins us virtually. And so with that, we'll get started uh, because I know there'll be probably lots of questions and appreciate everyone coming from uh, the different departments to come and um, provide these briefings and presentations. I know that we have talked about having ongoing presentations on uh, migrant updates, uh, migrant response, so that uh, council members can all um, continue to be updated. And we'll make sure that council members know that we are going to continue those efforts, hopefully right now on a monthly basis, and it may change depending on, um, you know, how things are going with with response. So with that, I want to welcome up. Um, we have I know Anne Marie and Perla Geiler and um, Evan Dreyer. I think are here to present on migrant response. So yes, please join us. Thank you so much. Thank you uh, for having me. Yes, I'm Anne Marie Braga. I am the executive director for Denver Human Services. This is, I'm at month three and a half, so I feel like this is a little bit of like an oral exam to present the state of the state of this topic that um, uh, my team and the city and um, all of our communities have really just dove into. So we're gonna present uh, some information to all of you and I'm sure there will be lots of questions which we are here to answer. Uh, so first I'd like to start just because I've been here for a little bit and I've sort of had some fresh eyes coming into it. I wanted to start with a few things that I've learned. I've learned that Denver's newcomers have incredible strength and courage. They've traveled in harsh conditions through jungles, bodies of water, and have survived. And all they want is to earn an honest living and make a life for their family free from oppression and violence. The other thing I've learned is that we are truly in this together. None of us can do this alone. Denver residents who are hosting families and building complex and coordinated volunteer efforts, honestly more complex than some businesses I've seen, um, so many residents are stepping up to help and it's been really incredible. 
our community partners who've spread themselves so thin by devoting countless hours to supporting our newcomers in obtaining medical care, housing, jobs, getting their kids enrolled in school, and really finding whatever resources are needed to help these individuals and families succeed. These informal neighborhood networks are just incredible, and a huge shout out to all of them. And some of our even bigger partners like Denver Health and DPS are finding themselves in tough situations trying to serve all these folks with not enough funding. I also want to thank our city and county staff, many of whom are here today. Um, as you all uh, generously highlighted, I believe it was last week, I can't believe that was only a week ago, during the proclamation, our teams have really done a heroic job. And I can say that because I wasn't here for it. <laughs> so it's easy for me to compliment all the work that I've seen, uh, spending countless hours standing up 24-7 operations when that's really not something DHS has ever done, um, that we were initially thought to only last a few weeks, right? So this really started out as this emergency response, and now it's been a year. And all of this so we can help newcomers have a safe place to be while they identify the next steps in their journeys. City and county officials, I just want to say our state partners have provided financial and uh, leadership support in, pro in problem solving and coordinating with our federal agencies as well. Our new mayor and his office, along with my sister agency leaders, have been invaluable partners in solving this very complex issue through federal advocacy, hosting uh, housing and legal clinics, providing day-to-day -day support, and quite frankly, keeping me going through all of this, um, as uh, uh, Councilman Sandoval talked about last week. And finally, I really want to thank all of you, um, our city council members, your questions, your ideas, and your sense of urgency to support our newcomers while ensuring your neighborhood's safety and quality of life has really been commendable. Thank you for your ongoing advocacy and communication with me personally, as I've had to learn a lot in the short amount of time. Um, I really appreciate all the quick phone calls and um, educating me on what's going on in your neighborhoods. Uh, so just really want to have a uh, time to shout out to all of you. Uh, a little bit later, I'm going to share with you how all of the ideas you'll, you'll notice in some of the things we're doing, some of the conversations and little bits of wisdom you've all provided me, we're really integrating it into the work that we're doing. So we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. I've also learned uh, that we have to look up and create a long-term plan for this. Uh, we have been uh, really in this emergency mode for a while now, and during this presentation, we're going to share a vision for what that could look like and how we will get there. I've also learned that this can often feel like an intractable problem. It is very challenging, but I genuinely believe that together we can really get there. So I'm going to share the overview of what I'm going to go through today, and uh, I actually organized this on purpose, and I, I think these are gonna be shown, right? Yes. Can everyone see them? Okay, I just wanna make sure. Um, I'm really gonna talk about the vision and where we wanna go first. I know it's really easy, and a lot of your questions are probably in the nitty gritty. I promise we're gonna get to those. But if we don't talk about where we wanna be, uh, it's really hard to figure out how we're gonna get there. So we're gonna talk about the vision, we're gonna talk about the present where we are now, I'll, we'll show numbers and graphs and all those specifics. And then uh, we're gonna talk about what to do to get there. So the vision of where we want to go. So uh, let's just go ahead to this one. Okay. I want you to imagine a world uh, where families come here and receive all of the things. And I don't know if you can see all of those. I might have to call some of these out. Uh, but that, and first, sorry, first I wanted to just say that this vision is not something that we sat in a room at the city and created. 
This vision that I'm about to share with you was created with uh, many organizations over the last three months, or uh, nonprofit organizations, refugees themselves, um, newcomers themselves, city and county officials, our partner organizations, like the ones I mentioned earlier, and a lot of our talented neighborhood leaders who are on the ground doing this, local foundations and others. So in this vision, Denver continues to be a welcoming city. We, uh, but we shift our focus from serving thousands of newcomers through shelter with minimal resources for case management, legal clinics, housing clinics, and those sorts of things, and those supportive services, to really serving fewer guests with higher quality case management, legal housing and employment navigation services. We want to ensure a trauma-informed approach. This has been really important to almost every person I've spoken with. How to ensure a trauma-informed approach right from the beginning. And we do our best to do that now as well. We want to make sure they have access to mental health supports, physical, uh, men uh, medical uh, supports, and also support with navigating school enrollment and even connections to social supports, which we don't spend a lot of time talking about because we're dealing with the dire needs. But all of those things we want in this vision. This vision also includes a fiscally responsible budget so that we may continue to balance the needs and desires for our current residents to live in a vibrant, affordable, safe city while continuing to support the American dream for new arrivals, many of whom are fleeing these life-threatening situations uh, to protect their young children and families. So these folks do not want to live off government. We, we've, many of us, I know I've talked with many of you about this, we meet them. They're like, we want to get to work. How can we get a job and, and uh, live on our own? So most um, really want nothing more than that opportunity, that American dream. So in this best case scenario where someone comes to us and we're able to provide all these services, I know you're all thinking like, how do we afford that? What does that look like? So I'm going to share with you a possible kind of budget uh, and uh, information. And it's, it's, this is not, I just want to keep reiterating that this is an example. We haven't made decisions on this. This is just all the best thinking coming together to say, excuse me, to say what could that actually look like in, in practice. So in practice, a best uh, potential uh, scenario um, would be based on potentially providing baseline intake, um, sheltering, the meals and transportation, all those things we do now to about 500 newcomers. If we, and we could also think about uh, a number of ho sheltered hotels. Like we have one or we have two or some sort of number and agreeing on a certain number. Um, if we did 500 folks, that's about $20 million annually. Um, on an ongoing basis, we also want case management. That's that piece I was talking about that we're, we're doing our best. Everyone's kind of pulling together to try to make sure we're providing all those supportive services. In this model, we would want to make sure that, that you get here, you have a case manager, you have someone to actually help you through resource navigation and figuring things out from the beginning. Um, and if we did uh, great case management, it would be about three to six million a year. So potentially, you know, it'd be 23 to 26 million a year. I keep being told, Saying that number out loud is scary because we don't want everyone to hold us to it. But I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about maybe the what ifs. So we're really being transparent here in our thinking at this time. And I just want to keep reiterating, no decisions have been made. We're just trying to put some stuff on paper to see how much, what, what could we do that would be more sustainable for Denver. So I'm gonna pass it off for just a second um, to my colleague, Perla uh, Gaylor, who's the executive director for the Agency on Human Rights and Community Partnerships. Um, this part of the vision that we're gonna talk about right here 
um, is really what her department has done for years in supporting refugees. We don't think it makes sense to just recreate the wheel. And so I'm gonna let Perla come up and talk about what this looks like. Thank you. And <clears throat> real quick during the transition, I'm just going to recognize Councilwoman Parity um, who joined us and then Councilwoman Lewis who has joined us uh, virtually. Thank you. Good morning. Again, my name is Perla Gaylor. I am the Executive Director for the Agency for Human Rights and Community Partnerships. And I've only been in this role for two and a half months. So I wanna thank you for having us here today. As Anne-Marie mentioned, I am going to talk about the future, a newcomer's journey. and this was not just put together by HRCP, but also by our advisory council that we met with a couple of months ago, which included community partners, uh, government, some of our employees, some Highlands mommies. Um, it really was a very diverse group that came together and talked about what does this newcomer's journey look like? And so as you see, our welcome is just in the first couple of days that we welcome a newcomer with trauma-informed intake and immediate needs assessment. We talk about short-term shelter. We talk about um, what, it, what, what resources we have. We move on to an orientation where we talk about the shelters, the community groups that they have access to, um, what employment resources they have, that work authorization that is so imperative to getting our newcomers into housing. And then we launch with, um, hey, you got the job. We're gonna find your house. We're gonna Thanks to city council, we may help you with this deposit and disbursements rent, get you a banking account and integrate you into our wonderful Denver community. Um, these are best practices that were built from our former uh, director of the Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs, Council President Torres, but now is run by our expert, Ati Mutai. And we believe that these have been successful methods of how we've been resettling refugees, how we work with our undocumented, and how we will continue to work with our newcomers in this journey of assimilating into our community. As Anne-Marie mentioned, um, we want to welcome them, but we want to be efficient, and we want to have our deliverables be desired outcomes for everyone involved, which includes um, our newcomers, that they have a job, that they have housing, and that they integrate into our community. What does that look like? And so just setting the stage for um, our next speaker, which is Evan Dreyer, um, where how are we coming from and what does that look like? So more to come on this journey of our future for the newcomers. And right now I would like to introduce Evan Dreyer. Thank you, Perla. Thank you, Anne-Marie, Madam Chair, Madam President, members of council and the committee. My name is Evan Dreyer. I've only been in this role for about 10 minutes. So if you have any hard questions, these two experienced hands are the ones that you should be talking to. And it'll be like that joke. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit about where we are now and then a little bit more about um, how we're gonna get to achieve the vision um, that, that Anne-Marie laid out. Um, we, in the, at the end of November, throughout December, and then the first half of January, saw um, the fourth significant spike that we've experienced over the last year. Um, we were seeing two, 250 people per day at that peak. Um, we have benefited over the last couple of weeks of a bit of a slowdown. We're now averaging about 50 people per day. Um, and when you compare that to 250 people per day, it does kind of give us an ability to stop and catch, not stop, 
to slow and catch our breath a little bit and be able to think long-term and do some of the planning work that Emily laid out. Um, in December, we received 144 charter buses direct from Texas. Um, through last night, this morning, um, we've received 39 buses in the month of January. To go from 144 in one month to 39 in another month um, is a pretty significant drop. Everybody, please knock on wood that for the many reasons that um, are, are attributable to that slowdown that, that they continue. Um, we currently have 4,000 people in 10 different facilities. Most of these facilities are the non-congregate hotels. Uh, we have two congregate shelters that are up and running and then one transitional housing facility that uh, we are all also operating um, in partnership with uh, Catholic Charities. Um, at this pace, at the, at the level that we are at right now, and if we were to continue to grow at the level that we were growing throughout December in the first half of January, um, we projected that our costs for this year would be $180 million. And that's where the $180 million figure that we are currently trying to balance to uh, comes from. Um, you can see on this chart sort of the four peaks. This started in December, January um, of last year. We had another peak in the spring, May, June. We had another, another third, the third peak in October. And this one is really, I think, where it, it gets very troubling. The peak is higher and the period of time between peaks is smaller. Um, and, and again, if we, are to, if we were to have to sustain this level, um, it, it is unsustainable from a staff perspective, from a space perspective, and certainly from a financial perspective. Um, we have had 38,000, more than 38,000 people come to and through Denver. Amory will talk a little bit more later about um, where some of those folks uh, have gone and are going to. But think about that figure, 38,000. It's approaching um, a full course field. It, it is a significant number that we have uh, been able to serve. Um, the, the financial piece of, of all of this is, I think, very, very concerning for all of us. Um, 46 million is roughly the 2023 uh, tab. And if, again, if we're at this level where we are now, that could be a, a, a figure that we're seeing uh, spent over the course of a couple of months or a quarter. I'm not gonna go through all the details on this slide, but we do try to break it down per guest, per day, uh, and per month. Um, so you can see there in greater detail how we get to that $180 million figure. And we're happy to take additional questions on that figure as well. Um, Anne-Marie and I were talking a little bit this morning. Um, it, it is really important for us to remember that we have been able to serve this many people um, Mimi Sherman, Justin Sykes from the DHS team have done an incredible job and, and others all over the city, hundreds um, of people have done an incredible job serving almost 40,000 people. Um, we need to, I think, always stop and remember the humanitarian care that goes into providing that level of support for people who have trekked for months through unimaginable hardships um, to get here in pursuit of the American dream. It, it doesn't just happen magically. There is an incredible amount of effort that is required 
to take care of this many people for this amount of time. We have helped secure housing for nearly 4,000 people um, in partnership with the state's Office of New Americans, the work that HRCP um, and DHS have done. Um, housing, leases, meals provided, being able to help people get to where they really wanna go, those are just some of the, the, the big ticket items um, that we've been able to do together as a city team. And this is sort of the transition now to um, what we're doing to try to achieve the vision that Anne-Marie has, has laid out. Um, taking a shelter system with 4,500 or 4,000 people and trying to bring it down to a level of even half that or to the 500 um, example is going to take a lot of work. And there are multiple levers that we're gonna have to pull in order to get there. These are about eight of them that we are currently working on right now. Um, as you know, uh, Mayor Johnson is doing an incredible job advocating um, at the federal level for additional support and also trying to put together a coordinated disbursement and entry network involving other cities um, around the country. Um, we are working with organizations like the Colorado Hosting Asylum Network um, to build out uh, a host family or host home network. Uh, we are working hard to um, help uh, newcomers get to where they really want to go through additional travel to other points in the United States. Um, we are reinstating and did reinstate last week uh, the length of stay limits for individuals without kids. And then starting next week, we'll reinstitute the length of stay limits for families. Um, case management uh, is one of the most important keys to all of this. Um, Anne-Marie talked a little bit about making it a much more concerted effort to help case manage um, people who are coming into our care. Um, we, particularly in this last wave when we're at 4,000, 4,500 people, um, it's all we can do to shelter people. What, what we really need to do is to provide case management and a deeper level, deeper level of service. Um, part of that are the housing and legal clinics, some of which we have already done and many more of which are coming in the month of February um, and March, really trying to help people who have employment, who have a path to sustainability to get into housing um, and providing the assistance that is necessary for them to be on the right path um, so that they're not doing anything to jeopardize uh, legal status, um, but that we are able to efficiently and as quickly as possible in partnership with the federal government, um, getting people um, where, they ought, where they ought to be um, and then hiring some additional staff, and Emily will talk more about that later, but uh, folks who are dedicated 100% um, to leading, guiding, executing, implementing on this work as well. Um, the federal advocacy um, that I mentioned, um, the mayor has been uh, to DC now a couple of times. We, we are in constant contact um, with our federal delegation and um, the administration as well pushing as hard as we possibly can, and we appreciate your support as well, um, for additional funding, uh, additional coordination, and um, expedited work authorization is one of the most important pieces that um, the federal government can do for us. Um, the work also to coordinate the disbursement and entry of newcomers uh, into the country, particularly from the border into interior cities, is also extremely important. 
Denver, Chicago, and New York should not be shouldering uh, the bulk of this burden on our own. Um, we have not had a national coordinated disbursement network to date, um, and this is part of what Mayor Johnson is trying to accomplish. Uh, length of stay limits for families. Um, in November, we paused those discharges um, and during cold weather activations, we also paused them um, as well. Last week, we started uh, the discharges for adults again. Um, and what, if we have additional cold weather activations this winter, we will pause them trying to keep people safe and out of harm's way in the dangerous Colorado winters. Um, next week, we will begin we will begin again uh, the discharges for families. Um, we will start with folks who, some, in some cases, families have been in our shelters since October. So th that cohort we'll start with on Monday uh, and Tuesday uh, and throughout next week. And then we'll get back to a point where um, we'll have a 42 day length of stay, um, families coming in for that long. Um, we'll then start to exit out as well at that point, once we catch up. Um, we are doing everything that we possibly can to avoid encampments. I know that this is a high priority for all of you. It is for us, it is for the community as well. It's one of the things that we are um, most focused on um, and trying to monitor. Um, it probably worth noting that with the resumption of adults without uh, kids, those single adults over the past week, we have probably exited somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 people uh, over the past week. Um, with, I would say, again, knocking on wood, minimal impact uh, when it comes to encampments. There have been a couple. We've done some intensive outreach um, and tried to resolve those as quickly and as best as, as we can. Um, so I know this is top of mind for you all, at least for, for us as well. Um, this is a chart that just lays out um, the discharges uh, for the reinstitution of exits for families starting next week. There will be some heavy days. Um, in the weeks ahead where lots of people are being exited from, from shelters. We will work extremely hard um, on the case management, on the housing, on the onward travel, trying to create as many options as we possibly can for people. So um, they do not feel like their only option is to be on the street, particularly while it is still winter. I think this is where I turn it back to Carla. Thank you, Evan. I want to put a little focus on our increased case management work that we started a couple of, week, couple of weeks ago. Um, not only is the city funding this, but so is the state. Um, and we've brought in community partners to say, hey, this is what we need you to do. We need to case manage these families into housing, jobs, and anything else that they need, those wraparound services to integrate back into our community. Um, we are funding up to 10 community partners through a mini grant program to provide case management services to families exiting shelter. We are making a thoughtful, um, methodical process in who we are case managing first. Of course, those are those families that are exiting um, first, we will be working with them nonstop to make sure that as they exit, they have a plan and they have somewhere to go. Um, we are not only doing the housing clinics, but we're doing the legal clinics and we are also helping them with um, finding uh, money to get the housing supports that they need, that first month's rent and that deposit, which is critical to getting them into um, another place and making that transition successful. 
housing and legal clinics, we had uh, two this week. We had one yesterday and um, one today. Um, so host and community partners have come together to connect the newcomers to housing through case management. Um, we're paying the, for their uh, fees for applications into housing. We're utilizing funding, as I mentioned earlier, from city county that was that city council that was left over from 2003 for deposits and bursman's rent. Um, as Evan mentioned, um, we are trying to place as many as are exiting out of shelter. And then we have two more clinics that are coming up in February, so Thursday, tomorrow, and Friday. So, so far this week, we've had four clinics that we are utilizing to prepare our newcomers for um, getting their papers completed and also housing. Um, one, where, one area that we could really use your help in is securing some Spanish-speaking volunteers at these clinics. And if you need more information about that, I'm happy to send you the information of where the clinics are and what times um, that we could use volunteers. Um, so far, we have secured over 1,500 people. Um, I'm sorry, the city and county of Denver and state of Colorado anticipate serving 1,500 people over the next several weeks. That's a big, that's a big uh, number to house um, and find work for in the next couple of weeks. So any support that you can lend us, any nonprofits that are listening to this message that would like to help us with the case management, we are welcome to have that conversation. I wanna give a huge shout out to the families that have already adopted a family or that are fostering a family. I personally know what that means. I have fostered two families, a single mom and a family of four. I have let them live in my home. I have helped pay for their groceries. I have sent them to some of the clinics. I have made calls. I have dropped them off to Denver Human Services. I know how much time that takes. I know what it entails. It is a big lift. And so the generosity that is coming from our community is huge. And I want to personally say thank you. Um, without um, some of these families, we would have more people in shelter and more people uh, trying to find a place to live. So um, I know that there's been um, people in my neighborhood that have taken on house cleaning, that have raked our leaves, that have um, anything you can imagine, shovel snow. Um, so really grateful to the community that have taken in and hosted or adopted a family um, that has really made a difference and it's made a positive difference and it really shows that we are a welcoming city. And um, this strategy has been at an ad hoc and grassroots for over the past year, but we are making a more concerted effort to make this one of the uh, channels of where we can actually place home, place families and have them integrated into our community. Um, we are practice, we are, as Evan mentioned, working with CHAN, which is the Colorado Hosting Asylum Network. They have done train the trainer classes for us the last couple of weeks with organizations that are doing this work and we want to add on to this service. So um, we wanna take those best practices from people that know what they're doing, that have had, seen success, that have placed refugee families, that have placed um, undocumented families and now our migrant families into uh, our community in a thoughtful and safe way that um, is successful for both. So a, real, a bit, really big shout out to all of those who are doing the family hosting. And next I wanna bring up Anne-Marie again to talk about um, where we are with purchases of our tickets to um, Onward Travel. Yeah, Carla, thank you so much for, um, we're gonna go back to that slide. I, they just got reversed somehow. Um, for all of your yeah, efforts personally to um, help, that's just incredible. 
So yeah, we'll go back to the other slide, but I just want to talk about onward travel for a second. So uh, this has definitely been very successful for us. Uh, approximately half of our new arrivals do choose this. When folks come into the reception, this is one of the things we ask them. Sometimes some of these folks did not mean to come here and they were put on a bus and sent here. Sometimes they did mean to come here and they want to make Denver their home. It's, it's important for us to um, uh, figure out which, which one of those things. We want to make sure folks have a choice and they know um, they, they understand uh, the cost of living in Denver and they understand it's cold here, all those things, right? Some of them coming in the winter already know that because they step off and it is cold. Uh, but sometimes they might arrive on a day when it's more in the 60s like today, you know, and so making sure they understand what the weather is, some of those basic things that you and I all take for granted because we live here, but some of these uh, folks don't know this. So we want to make sure we, we counsel with them about that. Um, and uh, the other thing is uh, with this... Uh, length of stay for families. Folks will ask me a lot of times, well, what happens if we don't get them case management or we get them case management, but they don't, we don't find them housing or we don't find work. Um, this is one of the strategies that we will use. We are in talks with many cities around the nation who are, um, there have been many on the news who are saying, hey, we're happy to take people. We just haven't gotten any buses, but send some folks to us. We have resources, we have help. So we want to make sure that, um, that the biggest thing is that folks have a choice, right? We're not just putting them somewhere and sending them. We are asking them and we're giving them information about other cities and resources that would be available potentially in those other cities. Um, I grew up in a rural town for part of my life. I also grew up in uh, a city and those are different places to live. And some folks might wanna be in a rural area ultimately, you know? So there's lots of things to consider and not thinking of, uh, these newcomers as um, kind of othering them and thinking of them as objects, but as people and actually communicating and figuring out what they want and need. I think that's something we, we all need to um, do a better job at. So we really try to take that approach when we meet with them. Uh, so back to this other slide, uh, whoops, sorry, it's backwards. Um, this shows you the number of tickets purchased by day. And uh, this actually is, you can see it with our surges, um, that's kind of uh, how it, it mirrors that a little bit. So we purchased about 19,000 onward tickets in 2023. Um, it cost about $5 million to do that. And each ticket cost about $300. Um, the biggest, we look, well, first of all, buses is the, the main way, about 93% of tickets are bus purchases. Uh, we have about 5% plane and 2% train. And then most requests that we get, because again, we ask where you would like to go, right? We're not just sending them. Most requests, requests are to uh, Chicago and New York. Sometimes it's because they actually have family there and they're trying to get to that place. Um, but also sometimes I think in the news, Denver, Chicago, New York are the, you know, the ones that they hear a lot too. Uh, but following those is interesting. It's Salt Lake City, uh, DC and Atlanta. So the, I just wanted to kind of tell you where folks are kind of going to. Um, and then there's a whole lot in between of different Places. Director Braga, I just oh, yeah. I just want to um, note the time because we do have about five members in queue right now um, okay. for questions, and we have until eleven twenty for the for everything. Okay, so maybe about five more minutes I of presentation. Thank you. We had like two slides left. Okay, so really quickly, communications um, is a really important. We worked really hard to communicate. But as I mentioned earlier, when it's uh, an emergency feeling, everyone's just kind of trying to do their best. Uh, actually talking with many of you and many of your ideas and our other community partners, we really tried to implement a few more things. So I just want to kind of share a few of these things with you. So we made uh, website improvements. That's our website on the left. Now you can see there are these boxes like I am a newcomer. How can I get help? 
Um, I'm a community partner, information for the media, how you can get involved, those sorts of things. Uh, we've been getting a lot of uh, positive uh, comments on the way we've done that. And then we also have updates. So length of stay policy change, those sorts of things will show up here now so that people can go to denvergov.org backslash newcomers. And that's how, that's how you get there. You don't have to um, like click 10 different times to get in. Uh, so that's one of the big uh, things we did. We also created a customer service point of contact. Um, Andres Ferreira, who is here today. Uh, many of you know him, he's been amazing and is willing to be, he, we still have John Ewing as our, our lead uh, PIO for, the, for this work, uh, but Andres is gonna help us out because the more emails and questions we get, we wanna make sure there's a point of contact so those of us who are trying to make the system changes can continue to do so. Uh, we're also having uh, community meetings once a week. HRCP leads those with community partners. And then we also have we're starting a, for, and many of you know, these neighborhood leaders who are just really well connected and maybe the lead of an admin or a Facebook group who, if you give information to this one person, it gets really far out there. We're bringing those folks together once a week to give them uh, information and then to ask them what questions they have for us. So we're really trying to make sure we're increasing the communication. Um, and then revised flyers for city council. If you haven't seen these yet, these are uh, being done uh, this last week, so we'll make sure to get these for you all. But I had some, uh, the Councilwoman Gilmore, I'm talking with your chief of staff to make sure that we're getting you what you need um, so that you could give information out easily and quickly and you're not searching for things. Um, lastly, I just wanna share, I, I know you can't see this well, but that this is actually a logic model for this work at the top. And then um, that's just a quick screenshot of an action plan. We really wanted to make sure again, to put some legs on this and actually forward thinking about how we're going to do all the things we're doing and not just be in a, a sense of emergency. So one of the things that was, um, is kind of uh, surprising, especially considering all the amazing things Evan said uh, Denver city and county did last year was uh, we didn't have really any dedicated program staff. Um, the folks that uh, Evan pointed out who are my team, Mimi and Justin, they have like regular jobs of like running Denver Human Services, um, but they were doing this on top of their already job. So we're actually going to be hiring. We have inter final interviews tomorrow um, and the next week um, having interviews and we're going to invite a couple of city council folks to be in on the interviews to make sure we hire someone in this role who it is their job is to think about this every day and not to do this on top of, you know, child welfare, adult protection, all these other things we have to do to keep our city um, safe and um, uh, just meet the needs of all of our residents. So that's exciting too. So Okay, just want to say what we don't know. We're just really honest about it. We don't know how many buses, like I get questions like that. How many more buses are we going to receive? I'm like, I wish I knew that. If I had a crystal ball, you know, um, how many people will want to come to Denver? Federal legislation, when is that going to happen? I wish I knew. I listen to it every day and keep track of it. So some of these things we just have to own that we don't have all the answers and there might be some questions you ask that are unsatisfying. Um, there are so many unsatisfied questions I have. So we'll go ahead and get to those questions, but I just wanna acknowledge that. And then just tell you that we're working on our data to better coordinate. There's a lot of different data, uh, folks collecting data, the state, the different community partners, um, and then us. And so we need to put them all together. And so we're really working on trying to make sure that our data, we're collecting the right data, we're using it the right way to get the information we need. Okay, and then I just plugged the website there. So there we go, done. <laughs> Thank you so yes. much. I know there's a lot to get through and there's a lot that has happened, I think, since the last time we were all in a room and, and getting an update. So I'm gonna turn um, to questions now, uh, starting with council president. Thank you so much. And knowing we're short on time, I'm just gonna run through my questions. I've already um, written the email that I will send to 
all of you right after this for the answers. So don't feel like you have to answer them because I know everybody else wants to get in as well. Um, but I've got five questions. Um, in November, 2023, council sent a letter to the mayor asking for an updated response plan. Um, what we've got is an old uh, border migration um, uh, action plan from 2022. Um, and so my, my first question is, has this been done? Does it need to be done? Um, will the emergency operations response need to be memorialized in some way for any future activity? Back when we had 500 people, we never thought we'd get 2,000. Now we're at 4,000. So um, uh, the the ramp up and down like is as unpredictable as you say, um, but it sends, I think, our, all of our departments into a whirlwind um, when they, they don't know what they're supposed to be queuing up to do. Um, question two, um, regarding the spend in 2023, almost as much was spent on payroll as lodging. Um, I think it's like a 13,000 million to an 18 million difference. Um, how much was spent on overtime for city employees versus um, how much was spent for on-call staff, if you can get that to me. Um, and then uh, regarding um, new staff being hired in human services for the newcomer program, um, I've seen the posting for the newcomer director. I've seen a posting for an HR administrative coordinator for newcomer sheltering. Um, and then hearing um, that a program manager might also be hired. So just wondering if DHS plans to permanently have a newcomer program um, or if this shifts to HRCP at some point because dual work in this space, um, uh, I think is difficult for our partners out in community for what the Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs um, um, is there to do, but just isn't staffed up to be doing it right now. Um, fourth question, is the governor's team helping with any statewide coordination? So you mentioned um, a variety of places that um, either have job opportunities or um, cities might be actually welcoming. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's a huge thing for us to be managing that and a perfect thing for the state to be managing. So um, just a question on that. And then um, there had been some work done in the early months of this response to help get churches and community spaces um, uh, up and able to shelter. Um, that presented building code and zoning questions. And I haven't heard anything about this in probably six or eight months. Um, so is there any movement there? Because I've sent letters and gotten responses from some of the churches in my district who are interested in helping, not sure yet how, um, but I don't know if that's gonna be just a brick wall for them if they're not gonna be able to shelter anyone. Um, so those are my five questions. I've got them in email. I will send them over to you so you can get through the queue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, um, Madam President. I'll move to Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Madam Chair. And thank you for all the work of uh, the city agencies and all of the department staff and uh, nonprofit partners. We've been sheltering folks in the Montbello community since October, 2022. And right now, if my estimates are correct, um, along Tower Road, you know, the citywide, we're sheltering 4,000 people. We're sheltering about 1,800 in far Northeast. So that's about 40% of our newcomer population. And the far Northeast has never been resourced properly. And so I will as well um, run through um, just three of my questions um, and then I'll send the rest on, but really appreciate the partnership of Evan, Perla and um, you as well, Anne-Marie. And so my first question is, um, you know, the email that we were sent um, on 
January 25th, talking about reactivating the length of stay. Everything in there, I just reread it, said February 5th. But then Evan said that over the last week, we've been releasing about 400 individuals. And so I don't have any of that anywhere. And so I know that everything's moving really quick, but I would make the public request to have better numbers for us because we're trying to also coordinate nonprofit groups, the mommies group, food trains, et cetera, to do that. And so if somebody could clarify um, that point um, at the podium um, here, that would be great, at least. So we can get that on the record. So the, um, the 400 he was talking about were singles, and thank you for the question, uh, were singles, and it was because of the cold weather sheltering that we had, and then that stopped. So that was separate from the family length of stay. Okay, so that the information sense? that was provided to us as council was only the family yes. reactivation, but there was a previous single individual reactivation that, see, we didn't get that information as council, so just would love to shore that up. And then um, as part of the coordinated disbursement, um, and I'll just read these couple, and you don't need to answer them, you can follow up, but because we don't have the infrastructure in the far Northeast, we don't have a place or established churches for people to go. Many of our churches operate out of DPS space. And so um, I would just ask that we have clear um, direction. Are, are we gonna do mobile clinics in the far Northeast? How are we going to create space? Because I don't think that there is yet or the desire of the city to enter into some sort of contract or lease with our nonprofit partners to provide that space. And so there's a huge gap there. And so um, that's a, a biggie one, that's a big one. And then I'd like to know clearly who is the point of contact for lost IDs, rent deposits that bounce, et cetera, et cetera. I'm assuming that's Josh Ewing, but if it's not, please let us know. And then Secondarily, who is the point of contact for the longer term coordination? Like, I would just like a name, an email, and a number so that when constituents or special interest groups want to get with somebody, we've got that coordination. And then I'll follow up with the rest of the questions. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you for the work. Um, thank you, um, Councilwoman. Was there anything, I guess, any response that you? that you had or you just want to follow up after? I can follow up after, but the newcomer director in that position we're hiring is going to be a name with a number and that's what they do. They might uh, ask you to call Andres on stuff. Maybe they'll ask you to call Mimi on stuff, but that person will be your point of contact. So, but I'll get you all of that as soon as we hire them next week, hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilman Cashman. Thank you. I have a few quick questions. Sure. Um, first of all, I follow up on what Councilwoman Gilmore was saying. Um, I'd love a list of point people, current point people for everything. I have restaurants contacting me saying, hey, we wanna help with food. Who do we talk to? So if, if we could get that. Um, <clears throat> my understanding is when newcomers uh, come to the city and we can find them and direct them, we sign them in at, up on Steel Street. Is that correct? Yes. What does that look like? I mean, uh, what, what are we doing there? Yeah, so that's what our we call our reception or our right. intake. And so folks come in, they sit down, we make sure that they have water, food, 
uh, clothing, it, depending on the situation when mm. they get off the bus, how cold it is. So we try to take care of their basic immediate needs. We check them for their medical or health screenings. Uh, we're trying to ensure that everybody, during the surge, it was tough to do this, but we're trying to make sure everyone um, can have immunizations there and uh, immunization clinics. So we're really trying to make sure we're supporting them just uh, you know, from a social work standpoint of like all the things that they need. And then we, we do some of the things I talked about earlier, like asking them a list of questions to find out how they came in, what they need next. Do they want to move on or do they want to stay with us? And those sure. sorts of things. My, my main question was aiming at uh, the vaccinations. What, oh, what, yeah. what, so we are doing that. Yes, I mean, I will say with the influx, it was hard to have enough nurses to do it, but now uh, we have uh, Denver Health, uh, DDPHE, um, and there's one other, DPS maybe. We had we had three entities like coordinating together to make sure that we're getting everyone um, vaccines. Okay. But again, it's not got, 100%. I keep hearing that chicken pox is, is going nuts in that population. Are we vaccinating for that? Yes, I believe okay. that that is part of that. But if I, I could get, if you could confirm that, that yeah, absolutely. drop me a note. Um, and the 180 million, just to be clear, is that based on when the 200 people a day or the 50 people a day? It's based on the higher number. The 200 people. Yes. Thank you. Last question is: You said we've housed about 4,000 people thus far, not sheltered, but I thought I saw housed. Oh yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Right. So I'm trying. The question is: Do we know? Are they still housed? You know, that's a really good question. This is part of that data slide where right. we have to work a, a lot of our uh, community partners and the folks who are doing the case management keep track and connect with those folks. But we haven't been great about going right. back and asking, hey, what happened with that sure, person? Because sure, sure. we're trying to deal with all the folks coming in. So we're trying to get that all dialed in. So we are so we do, we would be able to tell you that answer in the future. So I, the answer is like we might be yeah, able yeah, to, yeah. but not fully. That great. Uh, yeah. uh, last but not least, I'll just yeah. say my voice can't thank you all enough. This is an amazing feat uh, that city staff and the community are doing. So blessings on all. Thank you, Madam Chair. Okay, thank you. Councilwoman Parity. Um, thank you so much, Madam Chair, and thank you um, to all the presenters. I'm deeply impressed um, to see us moving to this level of organization and foresight. And I, um, I've like never seen a heavier lift in government, quite honestly. So I just, I want everyone to know um, it's almost mind boggling the amount of work that you all have put in as a, as a new administration. Um, I also know that the mayor has, um, I wanna commend him for doing a really, really good job of trying to step into the breach of this total lack of coordination at the um, federal level, um, the, you know, the lack of leadership from a lot of other government entities. Um, I'm really proud to see Denver doing that and I'm hoping that will bear some fruit for us soon. Um, I'm gonna kind of take the same approach and tick through some questions um, rather than ex expecting answers on the fly. Um, although there's one thing I do wanna ask that's actually a question for Evan. So let's start there, if that's okay. I think it's a question for Evan. Thanks. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit more about looking at the slide of the numbers of people being released um, is daunting. <laughs> um, I know we're all daunted by that. Um, what is, the non-congregate sheltering plan uh, are the spaces that have been open um, for migrants going to remain open and kind of specific to that population are we now going to um, move over to just our general non-congregate sheltering system are we expanding that system like kind of where are we at with that and then I, when you say that um, we've done intensive outreach to try to resolve encampments that are primarily migrants i'd just like to know more about what that looks like um and in, in basically where people go like where where they've had the option to go and that, 
you know, where we're thinking all these folks will go. I know I'm asking really hard questions. I know we can't just create buildings out of thin air. I wish yeah. we could, but tell me more about that. Fortunately, we knew what questions you would ask. So. <laughs> Good, I'm actually glad. Thanks. Um, so just to make sure I understood your first question, are you, are you trying to get at um, the mix of non-congregate, congregate shelters moving forward? What, yeah, and I think, I'm so sorry, I think I said non-congregate and I meant congregant. Okay. I meant emergency shelter when people have moved out of the hotel sheltering system yeah. and I misspoke. So we currently have two congregate shelter facilities that are operating, one of which has a capacity of 120 beds um, that we are in the process of acquiring. So we will own that and be able to operate it for as long as the need uh, is there. We have to work with the zoning administrator um, to make some adjustments so that we can continue to operate it on a long-term basis. But um, as long as we need it, um, our thinking is, and we can afford it, that we would continue to operate that. Um, the second facility, which currently has 200 beds available, is an existing municipal building that does have other programming scheduled. Um, we started using it earlier this month and we think we'll be able to operate it um, as, uh, as a space, the staffing is a different financial issue, um, through either the very end of March or the beginning of April. Um, and I think we want to hold these facilities, right now they're not at capacity, but we wanna maintain them uh, in case we need them. Um, we, we don't know exactly what um, the impacts are going to be when we start the significant discharge of families um, next week. Um, yeah, so I mean, that, that is the current plan. Okay. Um, there are some time limitations on the larger one. Um, we continue to look for other congregate options. We are actively looking for other congregate options should we need them. Okay, um, and as of now, what happens if, um, or really, you know, looking at this 160 people likely to be discharged on February 5th, um, if those people try to stick together and camp on the streets because they have not been able to find anywhere else to go, which I think will happen, um, what, what is our plan um, when that occurs? Yeah, and, and that is probably the harder, the hardest question of all right now, which is why we are so focused on the housing clinics, on the case management, bringing, um, uh, right now, I think we've brought on four additional nonprofits to help us with the resource navigation the case management, the housing support, um, because we know we have to be really intentional um, and aggressive about how we are reaching those people before their exit dates arrive. Um, working with them every day on onward travel options uh, as well. We are trying to intervene and prevent people from ending up on the street as much as we can. Yeah, oh, and I know that and I see that work, um, but given the, the resource constraints that, that we're living with, um, if people begin to form a camp, um, will they be asked to sort of move along without a destination? Will they be allowed to remain together? What happens then? Yeah, I mean, I think we have three recent examples of what's been happening. Um, we have that very large, camp of between three and 400 people up at 27th and Zunai, and we were able to resolve that thanks in large part to the housing clinics that we, in partnership with nonprofits, were able to do, um, and with the opening of uh, congregate shelters. We had another camp um, that uh, formed up by Heron Pond 
we were able to get that one resolved as well. And then we had another one um, this week as well. So continuing to do really intensive outreach if they can't make forms, working with people on the ground in an encampment to try to provide them with as many options as possible. Okay. Um, and some I'm people sorry, don't. Councilwoman, I'm sorry, Councilwoman. Yeah, that's fine. Ask for two no questions. worries. I'll, and sorry. I'll email the other questions that I have. Thank I mean, you so much, Madam Chair. Thank Thanks, you. Evan. And we are um, over time, but I want to give us at least until 1130. And so I know that we have five people in the queue. Um, I will encourage you to please email your questions. Um, and, and if you can just ask the, I, mean, I know this is very difficult, but one question, but like I said, we, our plan is to have this be ongoing. So there's a lot of burning questions. Let's get them um, sent to them. And we wanna make sure we bring that back here to committee as well so that everybody is also receiving the information. Um, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I have just one question um, and it's specific to kind of the scaling the long-term process. I'm certain um, Anne-Marie you're considering this, but I am curious as to how we're scaling the approach we're taking for newcomers to be, to be able to apply similar approach for long-term um, um, care and support for let's say our Mexican nationals that are, that are here currently. We're putting up a system that provides for great service for newcomers. We know that there will be a, a long-term process. We'd love to see what your steps are um, for that. Um, for decades to come for folks, you don't need to answer that, for folks that are coming. That's my priority question. I just wanna say for folks who are going to be exiting, it is important that I know in District 9 as a city council member, we're working with nonprofits. I see Dream Center is here and others within District 9 to make sure that folks don't have to huddle together and camp on, on our streets. That's a priority for District 9. I know that'll be a priority for each of our council members. So we're gonna be working in collaboration with you, Evan, and team to make sure that we are not dealing with 400 um, groups of folks camping together. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Uh, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam Chair. I will um, email you the rest of my questions and many of them have already been answered. I wanna say thank you to all of you for the extraordinary amount of work that you have done um, and all of the city staff and missing holidays and birthdays and weekends and all kinds of things. Um, to bring people, uh, you know, newcomers to safety um, and really just want to acknowledge that work. Um, I will say, uh, changing stride a little bit here. Uh, last night we had district by projects night, several hundred people um, come. I heard some extremely concerning rhetoric from residents about our newcomers crisis. Um, and, and a lot of it is a political it's a political framing that's been done over the years of Denver being a sanctuary city, which we are not. We are a welcoming city. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about kind of the difference there? And I, I think it's important for the public to understand um, that that is a political framing um, of the narrative as opposed to the reality of the situation in Denver. And we just really appreciate a just a big question, but a quick kind of clarification of what that looks like for our residents. Yeah, and because I am new in my role, I do want to lean on Evan a little in this. I mean, I can tell you what yeah, I no, think. no, that's great. I can tell you what I think about it, and you know, but I feel like the mayor's office is probably better poised to answer that. I appreciate that. Yeah, Thank you. Is that okay? <laughs> Thank oh, yeah. you. Uh, um, so, yeah, I appreciate the way you frame the question. Um, Sanctuary City has now become a political Football. weaponized phrase. Right. Uh, we, we are a welcoming city um, and always have been and will continue to be. I think 
the, the delicate balance here is welcoming to a point and our resources are really the point. We are at and beyond a sustainable capacity when it comes to space, when it comes to staff, and when it, when it comes to finances. We want to be a welcoming city. We, um, we welcome with open arms um, all kinds of people from all different kinds of places. Um, but I do think we have to be mindful of the resources and the toll um, that does take. We also have to be mindful of not uh, stepping into that uh, the political the game of political football with that. So appreciate the frame. Yeah, really appreciate that clarification. Um, I, I will email you my other questions, but thanks so much for that. Thanks, Madam Chair. Thank you, Councilwoman Romero Kemble. Thank you, Madam Chair. I can do this in 30 seconds. Um, thank you for your work and for the presentation, um, whether it's been one day or one year, um, it has been a tremendous lift. Um, so I appreciate um, all of you on working on this. My questions uh, go around, are centered on um, children and families. So maybe some further detail um, later, but in the appendix on slide 29, um, we have information that's going out to migrant families, but information that's going out to um, traveling without children and just general information. Do we have a specific flyer that's going out to families? Um, so that they're aware. And then I'd like to be able to follow up of what is the city coordination with Denver Public Schools. Um, there's been a lot of, um, we're hearing in the news and also from schools and individuals of an increase in migrant population in our school system. And so with uh, folks who are being sheltered and moving, how is that consistency happening? What are we thinking about um, for some of our youngest arrivals here in the city? Uh, and then I will email the rest of my questions, but really focused around children and families and how are we serving them um, and their enrollment in school. I get the answer. Yes. Okay, thank yes. you so much. Yeah, great questions. Um, the first one is yes, we do have a flyer. We have lots of flyers. The two I put on there were the two newest ones, but we're trying to catalog and organize yes. all of those. So it's really easy to find on the website. So absolutely, we'll make sure we have that. Um, we have uh, Scott Esterman, who's one of the DPS school board members who's on our newcomer advisory council. We also have the head of school engagement there. Um, I know President Torres has uh, been connected with Mimi around data and how we're, how we're sharing information with DPS to make sure that when we get a, a lot, lots of new kiddos in one of the hotels, we can tell them ahead of time so they know. So there's a lot of work happening there. It's not perfect yet, but we're absolutely in coordination and we are very grateful to DPS. And I personally know some teachers who are working with these kids and families every day and it, it, it's, it's tough and they're being amazing. So yeah, thank you for that question. Was that, did I miss something? Um, I will email the rest of the okay, questions. Okay, okay, just wanna make sure I got it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, Councilwoman Lewis uh, indicated that um, she would hold off on questions today. Uh, and I think that it's hearing, I'm hearing there's there's a lot of burning questions out there, which I think are, you know, it's helpful for us to be able to have these conversations. So thank you for being here and for being open to, to this dialogue. Um, what I want to um, just pose to council members that if there's a way to maybe include my office so that we can make sure we're like bringing all of this stuff back to committee um, so that we're following up here. Um, if, if you're willing to do so, we would love to, to be collaborators on that um, as chair. And so uh, next, thank you again very much for being here, all, all of you, and for all the work that's being done. I know this isn't an easy task, but we're going to um, switch over to presentation on Yellow Vest Ambassador Program. Um, we have Laura Watcher 
and Ryan Ertman. Laura is with Department of Finance. Ryan is with Denver, Downtown Denver Partnership. And it looks like this might be a shorter presentation. Uh, and maybe we can shoot for about 15 minutes. Yeah? Good morning, members of council. I'm Laura Wachter. I'm with the Department of Finance, um, but because of my previous roles and experience within the city and within the Department of Safety, really leaning in here and supporting the city where we can. So hence, I'm here uh, presenting on the Denver Ambassador Pilot Program. And with me are my partners, Ryan Ertman, who's uh, the Director of Security with the Downtown Denver Partnership, as well as the Pastor B with the Denver Dream Center. So, and I think this is a, actually a perfect example of what the, uh, the Denver Ambassador Pilot Program is. It's just a collection of people from all different areas within the city to really represent uh, the city. So what is the Denver Ambassador Pilot Program? So this is a new pilot program at, that creates a coordinated and unified effort between city employees, nonprofit partners, our downtown businesses, and the, Denver, Denver, the Downtown Denver Partnership. So one of Mayor Johnston's top priorities is increasing public safety while building a more vibrant Denver. By bringing together partners from every corner of downtown, this initiative is a first of its kind collaboration to bring forth that vision. So this pilot leverages existing partners, nonprofits, city agencies, to provide that coordination and unified, uh, thank you Councilman Watson for wearing the vest, uh, this means that any time a member of the public sees someone wearing the vest, they know that they're there as a resource and uh, to keep Denver safe. So who are the Denver ambassadors? And I uh, want to stress enough that the Denver ambassadors uh, should be engaged for non-emergency issues. If there's any sort of emergency, it's still 911. So the Denver ambassadors are... Uh, like I said before, city employees. Uh, this includes the set team, Denver Police Department. They're also representatives of the Denver Ambassador Program, a downtown Denver partnership, uh, not just their private security, but the entirety of, of the partnership. Uh, property managers, uh, downtown businesses, the Dream Center, uh, registered neighborhood organizations, really working with the community members and, the and volunteers through the registered neighborhood, the RNOs. So I think it's, um, it's those personnel who already work downtown and can serve as that, vi that visible source of information and support to residents in, of Denver and visitors. Uh, it's a diverse group of individuals. Uh, many of our ambassadors do have that lived experience. Some have previously experienced uh, homelessness. And we are uh, all, as you'll see later in the presentation, we do have that model where 
each of the tiers of the ambassador program, they have their specific training and specific uh, roles and responsibilities within the program. So one of the key uh, points of that, of the ambassador program is that visibility. So as you've all noticed, the yellow vest, right? And so when residents, visitors see a yellow vest, they know that they can answer questions, provide support. All of the Denver ambassadors have been provided with QR codes, uh, the same activities, uh, events in the downtown area, so they can, they can provide directions. Um, I think a really good example of the Denver Ambassador Pilot Program is just the other day, the Downtown Denver Partnership received, um, through their social media, thank you. So two women were walking home from the theater late at night, and they were being harassed by an individual. They reached out and saw a yellow vest uh, individual, and so that yellow vest person walked uh, those two women home. So I think that's one of the examples of where the yellow vest and where the ambassador program really comes into play. This is the reporting and response model. And I can't stress enough that the, this model is, um, so for instance, the enforcement, the top tier, that is our Denver Police Department. They do not wear the yellow vest. The enforcement side of things do not wear the vest. Uh, our street engagement team also does not wear the vest. However, they do lead, they can, they can, um, they start off with outreach, engagement, education, and then finally that enforcement at the top. So let's really focus on, on the different levels of the, um, of the model. So the purple level, that is really where we wanna focus a lot of the, the ambassador programs. They serve to just report and activate. These are business improvement districts, these are the registered neighborhood organizations, city staff, people like me, um, the other folks of the Denver Downtown Partnership. They serve only to report, be there as a resource. They do not make contact with individuals. They are, um, they are only, they're no contact and they only report. They have been trained. Uh, so training is a really specific and important element to the program, the entirety of the program. Each of these pyramid tiers, they have training specific to their level of responsibility within the tier. So for the purple tier, the report and activate and really growing that, that tier, they've been trained on what issues to report. They've been trained on the statutory definition of camping. They've also been trained on how and where to access events. They've been provided those QR codes, website links, and they can provide directions or just be that overall visibility. Really focusing the engagement piece on the, or the, the ambassador program on the engagement and education and the outreach. So the red tier, this is your outreach component. Uh, all red, yellow, and blue, they're either city employees with specific job responsibilities or they are contracts with the city. The red, yellow, and blue all can make contact. And again, through contracts with the city. So the, the red level, they consist primarily of the Denver Dream Center. These, uh, the Dream Center, they have street outreach employees. They have Thrive apprentices. They provide resource navigation for various services. 
to include access to food, shelter, clothing. They can provide, uh, they can provide connections to substance use treatment. They can connect people to organizations and services depending on their need. Many of the street outreach employees and Thrive Apprentices have lived experience. And uh, many of them have also previously experienced homelessness. These individuals are actively walking around downtown. They're reaching out, they're engaging, they're providing that outreach, they're, and they're uh, providing that trauma-informed approach. They're also dispatched through the app, which Ryan will talk, talk about in a little bit. So uh, these individuals through the Dream Center, they've been trained in trauma-informed approaches. They've been trained in mental health first aid, Narcan use, CPR. So they've been trained. They have a higher level of training than the report and activation folks. Additionally, they've also been trained with the city attorney's office. They've also been trained by law enforcement officers, not only to keep themselves safe, but also, also to understand those de-escalation techniques. So moving up in the tier, the yellow, uh, the yellow layer is really to engage and educate. The primary um, in this tier is the Denver Downtown Partnership, the private security that's, and that's also contracted through the city, through, safe, through our Department of Safety. So again, just because it's in the educating, the engage and educate, they also provide a lot of the outreach. Um, and so there is a daily coordination with, and multiple channels of communication between the out, outreach, engagement, and enforcement to ensure the most appropriate care and response is provided. And then finally in the blue level is that enforcement level. So law enforcement, the street engagement team, and again, I can't emphasize enough that, you know, working really closely with District 6, with Commander Bowser and her team, and the SED team, they strive first to, uh, provide outreach first. Uh, the site team, although they, they're enforcement and they can issue citations, they, they really lead with that outreach and that engagement. Additionally, we have daily phone calls to really enforce that communication between them all and understand you know, all of the vacancies within the, and the open units within the House and Thousand Hotels and to really allow the outreach and the engagement to provide those options as they contact and uh, reach out to people on the streets. So I will turn it over to Ryan Ertman with the Downtown Denver Partnership. Thank you, Laura. Again, my name is Ryan Ertman, uh, Director of Security for the Downtown Denver Partnership. It's an honor to be here as a representative for the Downtown Denver Partnership and to be a part of this, what, what we see as amazing and groundbreaking work that the city is doing. Uh, I'm gonna step back real quick to 2021 when the Business Improvement District uh, sought out to find an application that we could use and our, and, our, and our community could use on our phones to be able to provide better, faster, and trackable service through our, for our community, that business improvement district. We landed on an app, uh, the, this app you can see here, it's a very simple, fast, and quick downloadable app that we uh, send out to our community members via uh, just information, QR codes, however we can, uh, however we can get that information out to make sure that they are engaged with their community, they're engaged with the services that we're providing, and if they see something that they see is un, unsanitary, unsafe, or problematic, or somebody needs help, they're gonna take, they're gonna use this app to get our services there. The, the, the Business Improvement District and our security team, we provide supplemental services to the city. 
This is not, these, again, these are not in, in, in police officers. These are security officers who uh, are trained in trauma-informed care. They're trained in a compassion first response and they educate people when needed. Uh, this team, in, in addition to the clean team, which we have another clean site, clean contract, and they, they assist us with uh, all the services that come in having to do with anything with cleaning sanitation uh, within the business improvement district. So as we started to get involved in the, uh, in, in the efforts that the, the mayor's office and the city was embarking upon in the House 1000, we got to sit in on some meetings and understand what's happening. We got to understand the compassion first approach, the desire to outreach to people, to get people services, to understand barriers, to build trust, and to find out how we can help people. And then in addition to that, this component of, of housing was just an amazing effort that we, we, just, we just couldn't sit back and, and not be actively involved in. So we, we waited, we listened, we, we heard all the things that were going on and as the initiative progressed, we did what the Downtown Denver Partnership does best, which is we found a void. We found a spot in, the, in what the initiative was asking for. They were asking for a community-led way to have a reporting mechanism so that the community could again get involved, outreach to people, find out how we could get help, use the, the, the compassion that we know Denver is so known for and say, look, this person needs help. We need to get them help and we need to get them help right away. So we said, well, we have that. We use that. We currently use that within our business improvement district. All we have to do is leverage our partners and lever leverage our contract to be able to reach out a little bit further and find out how can we use this and, and, and get that service to the rest of the city of Denver or the rest of a, a, a bigger area of Denver. So we did that and we use this app, as you can see right here, this is as simple as it is, it geolocates automatically. So you, the moment you open up the app, it geolocates your location and inputs an address, you don't even have to worry about it. You could take a photo if you want to, you can take a photo of whatever it is that's concerning you. If you see a pile of trash on the sidewalk, you take that photo, that photo will, will come directly to us and we will dispatch any, whatever services need. The issue, you can describe that issue. So that allows you to add a little bit of context to what's going on. You hit maintenance or safety, and this, in, in, in the, just to give you again a little bit of context, in the business improvement district, we have two sides, that are our clean team and our safe team. And so if, it's, if you hit maintenance, then it's gonna go directly to our maintenance side. If you hit safety, it's gonna go directly to that side and those supervisors see that ticket and they can then dispatch somebody to that. In this instance, both of those go to the same place because we just didn't have the, the time to put that in into any different, uh, um, just any different functionality. And then of course the, the information for the caller so that we can reach out to them if we need to, we can close the call, we can in inform them. This is, this is not something that is gonna be appropriate for, this, uh, for our capabilities, but you can go to the city of Denver 311 and make a report or whatever else is, is the concern. So that is the uh, operation of the, of the app and how we want to use this or how we've used this within this pilot program. What does that look like? So what does it look like on our end? Well, it, it's just basically a little bit of extra work. What, the, what we do is we, anytime that app is, uh, is used and someone takes a photo of, let's just say again, a, a, a pile of trash on the sidewalk, they, they submit their, their photo, they describe it and they hit submit. It comes directly to my email. So I directly uh, triage all of these calls that are coming in from this, from this app, specifically for uh, this greater downtown, downtown Denver area that we are uh, focusing our attention on. 
I spent some time looking at it to look at the photo to understand what the issue is. And if I need to, I can communicate with the reporter or I can dispatch some sort of services. Again, with these daily calls that we have with the city of Denver, I am in direct contact with people, uh, high level people throughout the city that I can say, we've got a, a pile of trash that needs to be dealt with. We have a, a bag of uh, uh, some needles on the sidewalk that need to be thrown away. And then we go through our partners with the, the Denver Dream Center, the set team, uh, the city, Dottie, whoever, whoever we need to, I can go directly with those members and say, we, we, the, here's the area, here's the ticket, and here's the need, and they dispatch the, the service. It's, it's that simple. And it, it actually seems very simple. It's just a little bit of extra work on our part to, to make sure that we're monitoring these in a timely manner and that we're getting the, these, the responses immediately and that we're triaging things appropriately. Again, those, those uh, responses are vetted and they are vetted by, by me. I see these things every day. I've seen uh, you know, ridiculous reports. I've seen very important reports. I've seen emergency reports that should not be used for an app. They need to go directly to PD for that problem. All those things that I can usually judge very quickly based on the information that they're provided. And again, th that appropriate dispatch. So it's gonna be vetted. What, what, is, what exactly is the issue? Is this something that is, is a private property concern? that we need to speak to that owner, or is this a public concern that we can use city resources for? And then we can also have close that loop with the reporter with the, re with the result of what we've done. If we've reported it to, a, to an entity, to Dottie, or if we closed it out because um, it wasn't something that we, could, that we could maybe address, then that goes back into the app and then the reporter can see that, they can understand that it's closed and then the issue is resolved. Here's the uh, statistics and the heat map as we have been able to, uh, to produce since January 8th. And again, this is the tracking part of this app that was a, a very large, a very big component of the mayor's office in making sure that we are able to track what we're doing, how we're doing it, and what services are being needed. And this is what we've seen for the most part during the, well, actually all of the services that we have, uh, that we have been uh, getting reports on since January 8th. You can see that with the maintenance and safety, people are generally pretty good about selecting the right button. They will generally select maintenance for, uh, for an issue of trash. Uh, sometimes we do see things being reported such as camping coming in as a maintenance ticket, but either way, that's, uh, we, we work that through with, the, uh, with our response. And then safety, so you can see that we've had 62 different reports. Um, camping has been 18 of them. Drug use has been 12 of them. Uh, some of the reports that have come in have come in over uh, that we have required us to do a, a 311 report so that the, the city can, can perform the services that they normally perform. Uh, most of the issues have been handled directly by the Denver Dream Center. The, that team is uh, just very versatile and able to do so much in the sense of both maintenance and safety contacts. And again, reaching out and doing that outreach and having the people of their skill and their magnitude and their abilities uh, to, to be that first contact. And even if it is a safety concern or somebody is camping, the, the issue is not walking up and saying you're camping. The issue is, hey, I'm from the Denver Dream Center. I'm from the SET team. I'm from, uh, I'm from the Denver Business Improvement District Security. How can I help you? What do you need? How can I help you get to the next place where you need to be in the sense of your, your, uh, your recovery process? What can we do for you? Then as that conversation progresses, well, we see where we're gonna go. Can we go somewhere? Can we get them directly connected to some services? 
That's part of this. That's part of these connections, part of these meetings, getting them to those services. If they don't and they don't want those services, that's okay too. And then we have to, to educate and just say, well, you got to understand this is, you can't be camping in this area. But if you, if I can help you, here's my business card. Here's our phone number. Here's where the Denver Dream Center is. If you need some outreach or if you need something or if you're ready or when you're ready, come talk to us. And that was what really got us involved to such a degree was just to know that this is a compassionate response. We're getting results. We're getting a clean, safe city. And we're getting to provide services and make people feel safer and get them the services that they need to get better, to, to get into treatment, to get the services, whatever it is, to get housing. That's the gist of it. Thank you so much, Ryan, um, for that. And um, for members on the committee and members joining us, um, this was a request that we made because we know that this came up in mayor's council and it, it was kind of a quick, like, here's this thing. And, and so we thought it would be helpful for everyone to get a little bit more information. I think there's a lot of uh, questions. Um, I am, oh, a couple of people dropped off the list. Okay, so we're gonna start with Councilwoman Lewis, who's uh, virtual. Thank you, <clears throat> Madam Chair. I have a, a few questions and I'll, I'll try and keep them. I'll try and keep them um, brief here. Um, the training was mentioned um, in this conversation and I'm curious um, of what training, what we're talking about when we say that we are offering trainings for um, these individuals. So trauma-informed care training, anti-bias training, and just our conversations with them. And, and again, if we once we start to roll this out into other groups, some of that training is going to consist of this is what you do report. This is what you are not supposed to do. These are who you're supposed to, you're not supposed to contact your, you know, those. So you have the, your logistical training, but then obviously those very important uh, components of training that, that we conduct to make sure that people are in the right uh, headspace to be contacting people, vulnerable populations. Thank you, Dan. Yes, uh, thank, thank you, Councilwoman. Additionally, we do provide training for, for all of those individuals that have contact with the individuals and report out. Uh, there is training through um, uh, the contracts, there's training with law enforcement, there's also training with our city attorney's office. So the training for just the, um, like Ryan mentioned, for that for that base tier of the pyramid, they are trained of what to report and where to report it and no contact is made. So the other training is, is performed through those contracts that does include the bias training and the trauma-informed approach. Um, how long is the bias and trauma-informed training? Like, what what's the content of that curricu curriculum that you all would be going over for these individuals? That training is currently performed through the city, so but we can get back to you on that. Yeah, if you could send that to to us, I, I, I mean, to me for sure, but I imagine the rest of council might be interested in, to, in that depth as well. Absolutely, sure. Um, and can you talk to me about, you? you mentioned that you had from an enforcement standpoint, security officers, what's the, what, who, who are those folks that are, that have that contract? So at the moment, the, the security team that's being used is the, is our security team that is contracted with the city. And it's because they work in the, in the business improvement district and they make contacts with people all day long in the public. And so they're not only skilled in what is and is not uh, of, a, of a security concern, but also how to talk to people. 
Um, this team is, is amazing in how they reach out and how they start with outreach, how they start that conversation, and then they, they move into education as needed, uh, not necessarily just to, to push people around or to tell people what they can and can't be doing. This, our, our security team does not have any enforcement powers. They are simply an educational body uh, to provide and, and also that visual presence and that visual security. Uh, as far as the other security, uh, security members throughout the city that might be wearing these jackets, these are other contracted parties. And again, they are on that lowest level of wearing the jacket and contacting and, and not contacting anyone just reporting, most of which is because they're going to be outside of their, uh, of their area specifically. They'll have a building and we're asking them to be just out and be, be a public citizen, just to have those extra eyes on the community and report things that they see. Is, is that contractor allied security and are they armed? Uh, our contractor is allied and our security. I'm sorry, can you speak up? To I'm the, sorry, thank you. <laughs> I apologize, great question. Um, so uh, our, our contract is with allied and our security team is not armed. But the allied security team is armed? There are allied, there are armed allied guards and I'm sure they're in other contracts. I don't, uh, but as far as how they're participating in this, I, I don't know that. That seems like an important piece that we would know if we, if they're contracting with us as, as partners of this city, that we'd know if they were armed or if they were not armed. Not with the contract. The contract is with us and our, our team is not armed. I'm going back to the, the, uh, if the yellow vest that we would be passing out to potential other security members or other security teams where we're asking them just to report only and not contact. Those, I can't speak to whether they're going to, whether the specific officer uh, wearing that vest is going to be armed or not, but those are not contracted with the city. Those are specific individual contracts of other buildings within the area. Uh, real quick, I, I see we're coming up on time, and I want to see if members that do have questions, if you're okay just staying maybe an additional five minutes, um, and if that's okay with our folks here presenting. Okay, so we'll, we'll just go over five minutes, and I, um, I'll wrap it up. Thank you, Councilman Lewis. Yeah, I'll wrap it up. I, I'll just say, and I wanted to speak to the vetting and maybe someone else can get to this. I will say that it's, for me, it's kind of problematic to one, not one that we would give folks vest um, and not know if they're armed or not. I just think it just creates the grounds for potential vigilantes. I don't know if you, if we're having conversations about like the dialogue that people have with our folks that are unhoused, the folks that are migrants, and many people who just kind of want to wipe them off the earth. And so like when we talk about vetting individuals, when we talk about um, whether or not we don't have security, like it's just giving me a, a lot of pause and concern. And, and, and quite frankly, I think about um, the, the gentleman, Trayvon Martin, who was hunted down and murdered um, in, in in a very similar fashion with putting folks who are ambassadors and feeling as though they have governance or oversight over individuals. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to stop, but I am gravely concerned about this program and how it's being rolled out. Thank you so much, uh, Madam Chair. Thank you, Councilwoman Parity. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I don't have questions so much as I have comments and I'm, uh, I, I'm beyond gravely concerned. I would say that I'm appalled and I'm not gonna mince words about that. We are empowering 
property managers, downtown business owners, um, or whoever else is in this category, to police and surveil fellow citizens in partnership with private security services that are not subject to our public oversight systems and a private app. I have data security concerns. I have questions about why we're duplicating 311 and 911. I have questions about how this will distort our perception of safety in the city um, and why we are prioritizing people's comfort downtown rather than genuine public safety throughout our city. Um, the clean and safe name is incredibly revealing. Uh, cleanliness is about comfort and perception, not about safety and certainly not about services. Our city has been engaged since the summer of the George Floyd protests in a very difficult, important conversation about what creates true safety for members of, of our community. Our Department of Safety has been engaged in that conversation. It's been difficult. Um, it has led to policy change. It is likely to lead to further policy change. Um, and this pilot takes place fully outside all of that because it is a privatization of a deeply public issue. Um, all of the progress that we have made and that we have yet to make is entirely contingent on public oversight and public processes. Surveillance and equating people experiencing homelessness with trash that you can report in an app um, is not where that conversation needs to go. Thank you. Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, uh, committee chair. I, I wanna pull back a, a little bit because I think there's been uh, a labeling or calling out of, um, of, of, of crimes that have been committed against black men in this, in, not in the city, but across the nation and equating somehow to this process. So let me be clear what this process is and whether it's been communicated clearly or not today, this is an opportunity for folks within community to communicate. There are no new rules and opportunities that folks that are wearing yellow vests have that they had prior to um, wearing a yellow vest. There is no one in the ballpark neighborhood that are raising their hands and offering to provide support that wasn't doing the same thing prior to this pilot program um, being delivered. There are no folks in Curtis Park or Five Points that are also participating in this program that haven't been doing it previously. I know the folks from the Dream Center. The 100% of the folks who work at the Dream Center that are providing support are folks who were formerly um, living on the streets, formerly who were um, dealing with substance misuse, formerly who are just disimpacted. They have above, and Pastor B, you can tell me if I'm wrong, an 80% success rate with those folks not only coming off of the streets, but going into shelter. These men and women are family to the folks who are currently in encampments, do not see them as trash, but see them as brothers and sisters of them and their community. That's why the folks in encampments in ballpark and in five points listen to them more than they do from almost any outreach team. And I applaud the work past to be that you and others have done. We can never forget the lessons we've learned um, from, uh, from, from the George Floyd murder. We know that is something that we must, especially I as a black man, that I keep very clear in my mind. But to state that a pilot program that is providing support for community members to communicate where they are seen in their communities, that that somehow equates to pre um, George Floyd, I think is a, 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 I think is an expansion of what this program is. The training, whether folks specifically contracted to this program have guns or not, that's something we need to be clear on. Um, those folks in the contract do not have guns. When we speak before Denver City Council, and I'll say to the team, we've got to be very precise in our language, because if we're not, then these kind of discussions spiral into what possibly you're saying. There is no one that's contracted in this program that carries a gun at any time, anywhere. That's the answer to that question. Uh, 
I, just, I have to say, I wear this yellow vest as I go to community meetings and I provide information to the RNOs deeply impacted by encampments, deeply impacted by the opportunity or the want, the want to do more in our city. That's why I wear this vest. I intend to go through and audit um, the, 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 the training program so that I can be actually trained, um, at least at the lower level, the purple level, to make sure that I can see exactly what is being done. The city and county of Denver provides bias training and training for engagement with community members to all city employees, and it is not a new thing. It is not something created by this yellow vest. They've been doing this for almost a decade. That is the exact program that is being leveraged here. Nothing new, nothing different, nothing has changed. No one with guns walking into encampments, no one um, uh, impacting the civil liberties of individuals. I appreciate the work that you did. I just have to say, when we're having this very difficult discussion, we need to make sure from Denver Downtown Partnership, from Pastor B, from anyone that's speaking, we've gotta be precise in what we're saying because this dialogue is going to flare to something that it's not. And it is because I don't think the precision of the answers to questions was here today. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Councilman. Um, I'm going to um, wrap us up, up if that's okay. I did see Councilman Parity back in the queue and I just wanted to make sure you were good. Okay. Um, yeah, I, thank you so much for coming and doing this. I think that this is definitely something we may want to also bring back because I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. My understanding is that there is potentially a plan to go beyond downtown, right? So I think this will warrant um, additional conversations. Um, and I think this is also just a clear example of how rolling out programs with little information um, and understanding can, can kind of spark a lot of questions um, and concerns. And so I appreciate you coming to the table, being able to have this conversation. I think there were some requests asking for curriculum. What is that training curriculum? Um, I, you know, I think there are still some outstanding questions about what is the triage process? What does that mean? Who is responding? Um, what are their backgrounds? What are their expertises? Um, all of those things that I know, um, I know that I have expressed um, um, to um, to this these folks. And so I, um, I thank you again for, for being here and we look forward to continuing this conversation. Um, with that said, we had um, a few items on consent and uh, those will move to full council and we are adjourned.